Now, before we get into this episode, I have a special announcement for you. And that is, I'm holding a four-day transformational mindset and marketing event on the beautiful island of Bali, Indonesia. Now, this is the second time around that we have run the Master Your Influence event, and the last one sold out as we filled the room. Now, I'll be holding the event on July 23rd to July 26th with two incredible leadership experts who have impacted tens of thousands from stages around the world and have created a truly fulfilling lifestyle for themselves and their tribe. Now, I hear all too often that the path of an entrepreneur is a lonely one. And I can tell you it's true. I have experienced this myself. So this is your opportunity to move out of loneliness and into collaboration and high-level creation with a tribe of game changers, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, inspiring creatives, and many more that will impact your life forever. So just imagine, over the course of four unforgettable days, you will not only learn powerful new ways to master your influence, you will also get to deepen your relationships face-to-face in a fun social setting in the evenings and spend time with myself and the other speakers. So this is an invite-only event, and you must apply for it if you are ready for a powerful shift in your life. Now head over to imjoelbrown.com slash event. That is I-M-J-O-E-L-B-R-O-W-N.com forward slash event and watch the video before you apply. Now just remember the person that you'll be at the end of this exciting getaway will blow your friends, family, and your followers away when you return home. Applications are limited. Get on it now. Don't miss this. We are maxing out the room very soon, okay? So jump on it today. Now, let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with the beautiful Christine Hassler, who is originally from the US, but is out in Bondi, Sydney, Australia right now. And, you know, Christine and I had the opportunity to meet face-to-face at Preston Smiles and Alexi Panos' a wedding. This was probably a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And Christine really stood out. Uh, she has a gift really to see the struggle of the human heart and can really speak into what it means to be an empowered human being. And so Christine authored a book called Expectation Hangover. And I can't wait to jump into this because I know that so many people have massive letdowns in life because they have unrealistic expectations. So I'm really excited to jump into this. But before we do, I just wanted to, to plug Christine's podcast Okay, she has amazing guests on the podcast and a lot of amazing guests to come too. So make sure you subscribe to her podcast. She's the host of Over It and On With It. All right, that's the podcast right there. Jump on it. Now, Christine, thanks a million for joining us on the Addicted to Success podcast. Appreciate you. I'm so happy to be here and you're in one of my favorite places in the world, Bali, which is like, (laughs) I feel like I think I've been there about 11 times. So a massive healing for me has happened there. Wow. Well, you're beating me. I've been here eight so mm. I, I do agree. There's something about this place that has this magic pull to it. And uh, one of the things I did notice was that everyone here that I see when I'm out and about, I see they're so happy and they're so excited and a lot of people are in holiday mode. So it's yeah. a great place to have fun and it's a great place to create. Yeah. So yes, I, I can agree with you on that. So anyway, Christine, I'm excited to talk about your book. I'm excited to talk about uh, what it really means to be obsessed with human optimization too, because I know that you're not just your everyday speaker coach. You get up on stage and you love to pull people up there and do live coaching on the spot. I mean, this is really what coaching is about. It's creating change. It's about bringing results 
to, to others' lives. And so I, I'd love to jump into that. So yeah. Christine, tell me, what's with the expectation hangover? That sounds terrible, <laughs> an expectation hangover. How does that happen? <laughs> well, we all know a hangover is terrible, right? And, you uh-huh. know, people listening or watching have probably have had one. If you haven't, don't, don't go have one. Um, because the hangovers are just, you know, from alcohol, they're, they're awful. You have a sense of regret. You, you just want to get out of it. You just want to feel better. And an expectation hangover is when we have hangover-like symptoms, but from our expectations. So, our, our mind is spinning. We, again, have a sense of regret. We lack motivation. We don't want to do anything. And I came up with the term after having a lot of massive expectation hangovers of my own and noticed there were three different kinds of expectation hangovers. One, when things just don't go according to your plan, even either because you have unrealistic expectations, like you said, or like you just fail. You, you did everything right. You had reasonable expectations, but something just didn't turn out like you planned. Or things do turn out like you plan, but you don't feel the way you thought you would. You finally get into that great relationship or get that great job, but you don't feel the relief or the confidence that you thought that external thing would give you. And then the third type of expectation hangover is when something completely unexpected happens that is not pleasant. It's not a pleasant surprise. So the universe throws you a curveball. You get dumped. You get sick. You get fired. You get hurt. Something like that. And what I found in my own life in navigating expectation hangovers is that I would just try to push through them. I would just use typical numbing devices and coping strategies like overworking or being strong or doing the spiritual bypass thing of like, it happens for a reason. I don't need to feel this and I'll just meditate and chant my way out of this. Uh, (laughs) And (laughs) it's a big one. It's a big one, especially kind of in our world. And I, I learned that by skipping over them or trying to push through them, two things happened. One, I would just experience the same kind of expectation hangover over and over again with a different cast of characters. You know, I'd get dumped again, but it would just be from a different person. You know, I'd fail in something in my career, but it would just be a different form. So they'd be repetitive. And then the other thing is I wasn't really leveraging them. I wasn't really learning. So my, my first like massive expectation hangover when everything cr- came crashing down is when I was 25 and I left my career. I got broken up with my, by my fiance. I was disowned by my family. I was in debt and I was really, really sick, really sick. And that was my biggest expectation hangover all at once. And it finally, a light bulb finally went off that the common denominator and everything was me. And I could either be a victim and continue to ask, why is this happening? Or I could ask, what am I learning for this? Even though this is awful, maybe it's happening for me. And maybe on some level, I'm creating all this so that I can learn something. And that's why I really wanted to write a book on basically disappointment. Because there are so many books on success and happiness and all these things. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to be the person to write the book on disappointment. <laughs> because <laughs> it, it truly is a massive doorway to to healing, to deep healing, because every expectation hangover, Joel, it pushes on an old button. You know, like the re- yeah. you get dumped at 25, it pushes on the button for when you didn't get picked for the school team when you were eight, or some girl or boy didn't ask you to the school dance when you were 12, you know, or one of your parents left or something like that. So there are these old buttons that these expectation hangovers push on, and by going in and leveraging them and really learning from them and asking what they remind us of, we don't only just heal from that current thing, but we go back and heal the original event 
And when we do that, then the trajectory of our life starts to change. Oh, oh, we're getting into some deep stuff here. I love yeah, that it. was a I lot in one statement. I was like, I'll just no, pause that, that for was... a moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. So, uh, you know, we hear this saying so often, what you resist persists. And it sounds like that's what it is too. Like you're not identifying it, not, not accepting it. And then how can you let it go if you haven't even identified or accepted it, right? Exactly, exactly. And well, I'll, I'll kind of give an example from my own life because it always helps me use examples. Yep. So one of my core wounds, we all have these um, significant life events that, that make us form major decisions and belief systems that impact the way we see the world and the way we behave. So let's just look at the fact that only three to 5% of our behavior is consciously driven. Only three to 5% of our behavior is consciously driven until we do a lot of work to unlock our unconscious. So that means for most of the population and for a lot of people listening, 95% of your thoughts, behaviors, reactions are unconsciously driven. And so much of what makes up the unconscious is our past, like our past memories and things that happen that form certain belief systems that actually form neural nets in our brain. So using my life as an example, in fourth grade, I started being bullied. And there was an I Hate Christine club, and I was very much left out. And at the same time, I was diagnosed with depression and was told I was a depressed person and was put on Prozac. So... That was a very significant time in my life where I made some major decisions about me and the way life worked. Well, I decided something's wrong with me. People don't like me. I'm broken. I'm depressed. Like those were the belief systems that were made. And because I didn't have the tools at the time to learn anything differently, those beliefs created those neural nets in my brain about myself and about the way life worked. So because that was so painful, I spent a lot of my time trying to compensate for that you know, trying to compensate for where I felt less than or not enough or broken in some way. And my particular brand of compensating for that was to become a massive overachiever. Now, I was doing that to try to protect myself from more rejection. But like you said, what we resist persists. So even though I was this high achiever and trying to compensate, I wasn't able to avoid future rejection because on the unconscious level, I was always fearing it was going to happen so I was actually creating it. Did that make sense, what I've said so far? It makes so, I, mean, I mean, to me, it makes sense. I'm not sure, like the listeners, I'm sure some way they'll be able to find a correlation within their own life. I was bullied throughout high school too. And yeah. I, was met, I met the fork in the road and it's either become the victim or the victor. But the victor, I was coming from a place of desperation rather than inspiration to achieve success. And so when I would fail or make mistakes or whatever it may be, it would hurt me so much yes. because it meant that like I was losing that protection, but I'm right. obviously now in a place of inspiration when I create, which is like totally not attached, having fun totally with it. Different. Right. It's a different space. It's a different come from, cause it sounds like we're similar. And I think probably a lot of your listeners are like this too, is that for a while, what drives you is your wounds, you know, is your insecurities, you know, your father never told you he was proud of you. So you spend your life trying to like, prove something. You felt left out. You felt less than. Um, you were able to avoid people getting upset in your house by being a people pleaser. So now your life is about making other people happy and, and you're last. So a lot of our motivating factors are driven by our, our old wounds, our old hurts. And it isn't until 
we start to heal those, we'll first learn what they are and learn what's really driving us versus inspiring us and heal them that we can have a different come from. Because if I'm driven by massive you know, insecurity, and I'm hoping that my success is going to fill a huge void inside of me, then I have a high level of attachment to results because my sense of worthiness is dependent on that external result. Now that I've done the work that I've done on myself to know that my worthiness is inherent and it isn't dependent on any external thing and it all comes from inside and I've, I've healed and nurtured that little fourth grader inside of me, I, don't, I no longer have a huge attachment to my success because I don't have so much at stake. So the more we have at stake in terms of our sense of identity, our sense of safety, security, love, validation, the more driven we are but the more attached we are such that if it doesn't turn out, if we have an expectation hangover, oh my gosh, it's a hard fall because so much was riding on it. Versus if you're living inspired and something doesn't happen, you just, you just adjust because you have that low attachment and you're just on to the next inspiration. So I think that, you know, for people listening, like really, really think about and reflect on where are you coming from? Where is your drive or your motivation coming from? And if it's coming from, trying to prove something or some kind of insecurity or trying to feel safe or whatever. First of all, you're human. Like so many people can relate to that. And second, just know that and maybe be curious about when you made that decision. Like what we weren't born driven, you know, we weren't born hoping to compensate for something. We were born knowing we were whole and complete and enough and nothing was wrong with us. And then things happen in our life. We give those things meaning and that creates an operating system inside of us that doesn't always give us the, the fullest expression of who we truly are. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, I love it. So when we are brought into this world, mm-hmm. uh, we're in balance. But obviously along the way, we start uh, giving meaning to certain things. They yep. either serve us or they burn us. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we totally come in knowing we're one, knowing we're love, knowing we're lovable, and then, it, and, and I see people minimize their life experience a lot. You know, they hear about people who've been abused or neglected or abandoned. And the only thing that happened to them is they were teased or they had a parent that was hard on them. And they often minimize of, oh, my life wasn't that hard. But when we're looking at our own life curriculum, we can't compare it to other people and go, oh, well, mine wasn't that hard. Therefore, I must not have anything to heal or shift. We all have yeah. significant events that move us out of the awareness that, we're perfect exactly the way we are and we're whole and complete and move us into some kind of story of I'm not enough. Something's wrong with me. I'm broken in some way. And so much of, I think evolution is, is kind of getting back to how we started, you know, remembering the truth that we knew when we were born and from, you know, I'm a spiritual psychologist. So I look at everything from both traditional psychology and also spirituality, not in any religious form, but from the perspective that we're all on a soul journey and there is no good, bad, right, or wrong, everything that happens is for our soul evolution. On some level, we chose it. Free will impacts, you know, the, the timing and the cast of characters and the exact situations. But everything, I believe, everything that we are going through and have been through have been part of our soul's learning and our soul's curriculum. And then our free will comes in and that's, that determines, you know, when we start to become students of our lives or victors of our life versus victims. Because my, my definition of a victor is someone who becomes a student of their life, not a victim of it. 
and really just leverages everything and learns and grows. And then from that, you teach. You know, you, you're the student and the teacher at the same time as you move through life. Oh, yes. And I love the fact that there are never going to be enough teachers uh, in, the, in the world. There's always going to be more students. And so there's an opportunity here for you to grow, right, to learn your lessons and to master what you can and to really serve at a higher level too. So, Christine, you're, you're pumping up mad, mad value already, and we're only like maybe 20 minutes in. <laughs> I know. And you just I remind it. me. I love it. Just, oh, I get so excited about this stuff. So you reminded <laughs> me, me of something really cool. Um, so do you know what the original definition of passion is? No. Please share. Suffering. The original definition suffering. of passion is suffering. Passion of the Christ. That's the original definition. There you go. And Isn't it interesting that over time, we have evolved the word passion to mean the thing that we love? And when I heard that, I reflected on it and I was like, wow, oh my gosh, it has been, like I have discovered my passion, the thing that I love, it has completely come from my suffering. Like it has been my suffering that has led to my passion. And so, you know, for people listening, if you're going through something right now, consider that it may be preparing you for your ultimate contribution, whatever that may be, preparing you for the impact you're going to make in the world. Because most teachers that are actually, you know, that, that are, are true teachers, like really live into the archetype of teachers, have been the student, have had those moments of just feeling lost and confusion and in and, and suffering. And I, I think that there's sort of a, a misconception in the personal growth industry that we're not supposed to suffer that we can just choose our thoughts at any time. And I disagree. And people can disagree with me. That's fine. But I disagree because I think that it's part of the, we learn through contrast as humans. I know happiness because I know sadness. I know hot because I know cold. And it has been in my human suffering and finding compassion for myself in that suffering that some of my biggest growth and biggest realizations have come from. So I don't think as, I don't think as humans, we should be scared of, of quote unquote suffering it's more how we relate to the suffering that's the issue than the suffering itself. We relate to it as yeah. the world is happening to me, you know, everything's my fault or why is this happening? If we go into the victim, then we just suffer endlessly and needlessly. But if we look at the suffering again as a student and we find that place of compassion inside ourselves, and we can actually walk ourselves through our own suffering, that to me nurtures our relation, a healthy relationship with ourselves more than anything else. So, I'm not saying we have to spend a lot of our life in suffering, but I don't think that we should attempt to avoid it because then we might just be brushing things under the rug that we actually need to go through. Yes, yes, I love this. You know, I uh, walk my students and my clients through a 10-year vision process and I tell them, don't like have fun with it and get excited and map it out and, and start filling in detail to increase certainty, but also don't make it a fantasy. There's, yeah. a, there's a very thin line because your fantasy can slowly become a nightmare if you are unrealistic about what's to come, right? Like so many people I speak to want the millions and they want the, or the trillions or they want the Bentley or the, they want the big stage um, shows and that. But they, I ask them, do you want everything else that comes with that? And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, are you sure? Right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got to know the cost, right? There's always a cost and there's a payoff, which is great. But the cost, what's it going to cost you? If you knew the cost of what it was that you were going for and you knew that you could pay the price for it, how much are you willing to pay? Yeah. And when you talked yeah. about suffering, I just looked it up then. 
suffering may be an experience of unpleasantness and aversion associated with the perception of harm or threat of harm in an individual. Mm. And the only reason why we perceive it as harm, whether it is or not, is because of the uncertainty of what it is, right? So what's going to change unless we step into the uncertainty of, of, uh, you know, possibilities? Yeah. Yeah. Uncertainty used to be my biggest enemy. Like I'm a Virgo planner, type A overachiever. So like uncertainty (laughs) used to be my biggest fear. And I think if I was ever addicted to anything in my life, it was control. And I think I think a lot of people are because there's so much fear in in uncertainty. And now I've really um, developed a healthy relationship with uncertainty because I know that's the only place growth and magic happens is, is in the not knowing. Because even when we think we know, we don't. We don't. That's the, the, the saying, if you want to give the universe a good laugh, tell it your plans. Like, we think we have control over our lives, but we really, if we really, really are honest about it, we don't have 100% control over everything that happens. And to think that we do is an illusion. Now, do we have control or dominion over how we choose to respond to what happens in our life? Sure. But if we can get in right relationship with uncertainty and know that, you know, it is in those uncertain times when most growth occurs, then, then that's, that's to me where you're really living a life of um, sort of intentional surrender. Like I'm intentional with my vision and certain things that I want to, I, I would say goals, but I hold on to goals loosely too. Like I don't do numbers. I don't do specific things. I focus more on how I want to feel and the impact I want to make. And then I allow that feeling to lead and allow the universe to, to, to decide the form. Because I know my belief system is that if, if I just rely on my own limited mind <laughs> and, and try to just stay in a little box or my own certainty, then I'm holding myself back, you know, because control and that addiction to certainty can create such tunnel vision and you can miss out on, on so much in your life. So and I know it's scary. Like it's, it's so, it's so scary. There've been times in my life where I have been so uncertain about the future and so absolutely petrified, but it's also in those times that I discovered like my own inner strength and where I also discovered faith. You know, you can't yeah. develop faith in times of certainty. You can't develop courage when, when you're not scared to, to develop these things. We have to put ourselves out in the playing field and uncertainty is, is one of the most massive ones. It's so true. It's so true. It's funny because you know, I'm a big believer in God and we talk about faith. For sure, my faith has increased as I've gone through that waiting period. Like I, it's like I want these things so bad and then God's sitting out there going, not yet, Joel. Not yet. Yeah. You got some things to learn. You can't get yep. it before you become it, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. Oh, believe me, I've sure. had many conversations with God about like, come on, like it's been six years. <laughs> <What is> <laughs> Uh-huh. But I, I yep. you know, it's, it's again, surrendering to that. And, and people ask me that a lot, like, well, then where does free will come in? And is everything predestined? First of all, I'm not God. So I don't have the answer to that, of course. But as in my own meditations and in my own reflections, again, I think that we, we all have a soul curriculum. So we have destiny in terms of what's available to us in this lifetime, in terms of what we can really learn. And it's from those learnings that then we go out and create things. Because like you said, it's been your transformation that has pivoted you into what you do now and to really wanting to create from a place of inspiration. 
So I truly believe that there is like a destiny available to us, but our free will impacts the timing. It impacts how exactly we're going to do it. And we, we also have free will in this lifetime never to do it, never really to wake up, never really to kind of heal the things that we came here in this lifetime to heal. And, you know, that's where God, the universe, whatever word you want to use is very kind. It's like, it's all available to us, but it's up to us to really step into it and to do the work. Yeah. Amen to that. You know, I, I often say now, like the first 28 years of my life, I was living in my purpose. Mm. Now I truly believe I'm living in God's purpose. And there's a mm. difference. And, How do you define the you, difference? Well, the difference is I step outside of myself. It's more of service. And I listen very closely, right? Because there's a part of you that's like, do this, do this, do this, because it's like for like selfish reasons. And I know at the, at the bottom line of it all, even when we do something good, we're still getting something out of it, right? There's like two kind of voices. There's like one where it's like really your soul speaking to you. And I believe it's the quieter voice. It's just kind of very softly spoken. And then you've got the other one, which is like the ego that's like saying, do this, do this. It has you at best interest all the time rather than like do this because there's going to be some growth there. Mm-hmm. And so all, all I feel like in myself is I've been even more courageous and just feel like an even higher calling to step into leadership because I really believe in being a vessel and really facilitating change in the world. And, you know, no one can do it by themselves. I'm not Superman. You're not Wonder Woman. I mean, we can get pretty close to it, but we're not, we're not fully I wish, there. I wish but, I yeah. had really cool that I could like, fly <laughs> dragons with. <laughs> right, right. But, but Christine, let me ask you this because, you know, I find this fascinating. You're a spiritual psychologist, right? So what would you say would have to be one of the most profound things that you've come across in your studies? Oh, my gosh. Um, honestly, just the, the ability of the human mind, body, and soul to heal anything, truly. So I went to school at a place called the University of Santa Monica, which was the only place that offered a master's degrees in spiritual psychology. And then I got another one in consciousness, health, and healing and which was like the mind body spirit connection and um, I was on faculty there for about four years as well so I saw a lot I experienced a lot and I saw a lot and it was the kind of training that was highly experiential we didn't like read books and then take tests we would learn something and then actually go experience it Um, and I you know through that well so for just a personal example um, I shared earlier I was put on antidepressants when I was 11 and was told you can never go off of these you know if you were a diabetic you would take insulin. And it was, I was about 28 when I started going to to school there. And that was also working with a spiritual teacher and a coach at the time. And I just intuitively knew like if I wanted to answer the calling I was feeling inside, not just to do the work that I do now, but to grow in my own consciousness that I needed to be off of them. And I had tried many times in my twenties to get off, but when you get put on them, when you're 11, it's really, really hard because my whole brain chemistry was messed up. And then that messed up my hormones and thyroid. So it was like a whole, it was like a, it was, it was, it was, there was a lot going on in there. And I I really, um, you know, it was between my connection to God, the tools that I learned in both my life coaching training and spiritual psychology, learning about diet, nutrition, all of that. It was a very holistic approach and I was able to do it and have been off of them for years and have never looked back. And it, shifted my life in so many ways and the fact that I never deal with depression in my life like yeah I have my days and I get sad 
that I have tools to process through it. The depression like never came back and I've never been tempted to go back on. I never thought I could get there. And that's just my story. I've seen so many people heal, you know, massive things, everything from cancer to, you know, being sexually abused your whole life. You know, people, every human being, anyone listening right now, you have all the inner resources you need inside to, to heal. Now, like you said, I didn't do it alone. I had teachers, but I also inside myself kind of put out to the universe, like I'm ready, I'm ready for my teachers. I'm ready for my guides. So if, if you kind of relate to what Joel and I are talking about and you feel a little stuck, like put out there, I'm ready for my teachers to appear, like show me the way. Because when we put that intention out there, it's amazing what shows up. Um, and, and like I think back to all the people and teachers that I've had in my life and I'm just profoundly grateful. And they all came in at the perfect time. They all came in when I was ready for them because I don't want to give the impression that transformation is an overnight process like this has been years of pulling back layers and things like that and even as the expert on expectation hangovers I still have them but my time between disappointment is a lot longer and the time I spend suffering in an expectation hangover is a lot shorter because I've I've pulled back more layers I've healed more things and I have more tools um, so that was a long-winded answer to your question but basically the answer is just that humans they can do anything truly Yes, I absolutely believe that. I heard a example when I was on a plane a couple of days back, coming back from Malaysia, and I love the example. It was so amazing. It was, I was by a guy by the name of Dr. Miles Monroe. He's passed away. He he was an incredible leader in this world, a great speaker. He was talking about how we often uh, don't truly understand our potential. Mm. So he said. Imagine God, and he used this as an analogy. It was so great. He said, imagine God is the manufacturer and we're the product, right, of his creation. And so he, he likened it to a car. So he said, okay, so, so let's say uh, you are a car and you've been manufactured, right? And on your speedometer, it says 220 miles an hour, right? Mm. And, and he said, most people are going through life at 50 miles per hour. Right, yeah. not yeah. truly knowing that they could be going 220, and they feel right. like they're doing everything, and they've got things holding them back and slowing them down and governing them. That's their limiting beliefs is governing their speed. And he said, and then someone rocks up next to you, and they're cruising along in the lane, and they go past you, and they're doing 60 miles an hour, and you're like, "Whoa, look at that person! How incredible is that person? How amazing is that person?" You put them on a pedestal, and they're so great, and you take yourself off the hook saying I could never be like that person because they're yeah. just so amazing, right? You're doing yourself a disservice at the same time, not knowing that they're only going 10 miles an hour faster than you when your potential is at 220 miles an hour. And when I heard that, I was like, boom, that is so it. Yes, yeah. so it. It's so it. There's so, many, there's so many layers in that, the comparison, the not knowing our potential, the giving up, the copying out, and just like the possibility of how we're – I think it's Brian Tracy who says we only use 10% of our potential. Like most humans only use 10%. So kind of the same so thing. It's like, and that doesn't mean, you know, I think it doesn't mean you have to go out and have this massive business and write 20 books and speak to millions of people. Breaking a generational pattern in your family is enough. Doing your own inner work and just shifting your consciousness so the way you show up in traffic or in a grocery store, that, that, is, that is it, you know? And, and so it's not like going at 220 means you have to have this massive private jet, huge life. 
but it means like whatever is your personal 220, you know that you can do that. Like you can go into that, whatever that is for you. And I think that we all have to, you know, go inside and be like, okay, what does my 220 look like? Like for me, not, not somebody else's, not Joel's 220, not Christine's, but like, what is, what is 220 look like for me? And because when we're trying to be someone else's 220, then we're, we're not living into our own potential either. So it's just, yeah, it's getting clear about that. And I think that's so true. a lifetime. I mean, my biggest personal fear is not living into my full potential. That's my, my biggest fear. Ooh, like I, I don't, yeah. and it's the thing that inspires me again, not from this place of putting pressure on myself, but like, like how cool is it that we have these human bodies and this human life and we're living at this time where like consciousness is just exploding and there's, there's just so much, there's just so much to experience and I don't want to miss out on all that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, it's true when they say, you know, when your mind expands, it just can't go back to the original size. It's like this feedback that you get within reality when you actually are like visioning something and then you see it actually happen. And it doesn't always have to be exactly the same, but it happens and you, you just, you, you blow yourself away with the, the glory of the gifts that you've been given and, and what you've been blessed with. I mean, we have so many gifts that are bestowed upon us and we're just not utilizing them, yep. you know? Yep. And so, yeah, yeah. You must work with a lot of uh, people that are playing small that like want it so bad. I mean, what, what, what's your advice to someone that has held themselves back from stepping into their potential because they're yeah. of this whole like expectation hangover that they continue to get? What would be, if we could make this an actionable episode, what would be like an exercise yeah. or something that they can implement? Well, this is why, um, so you mentioned my podcast. Um, this is why I coach people live on the air is because I really, you know, so much, I really wanted people to hear how people do this, you know? And, and so when people, I interview people like you on Saturdays, but then every Wednesday it's an episode where it's actually someone that I don't know. It's totally cold. And they call in with some kind of question and I coach them live. And in terms of the actionable item, you know, for me, before I give anybody advice, I don't really love giving advice. I love giving, guiding people to their own answers. Uh, but I, I have to play human detective first. So the biggest actionable item I can give people is to sort of do a backwards timeline of your life and start to put the puzzle pieces together of your life about like why you have some of the beliefs and the behavior that you do. Like, so for example, let's say you're struggling right now with money really look at, okay, what was money like growing up? What did your parents tell you about money? Did someone say you have to work really, really hard for money? Did you have someone that was really hard on you so you have low self-worth and your net worth and your self-worth come together? It's like you've got to be a little bit of a detective, not a victim, not why, 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 but almost an observer of your life, sort of looking at the common themes, the repetitive behavior, the expectation hangovers that's, that keep showing up and not in a way that you beat yourself up, but really take responsibility that you are a co-creator of your life. You're not a victim. And so be curious as to what is driving that, like what from your past is impacting your present. Because when those aha, when those dots can connect, then it's a lot easier to start making actionable change. You know, for example, I, one of my clients, he's a CEO, he's super successful and like enough is never enough. And he's really hard on himself and is always pushing and just like he, his stress level is just massive, even though he has the success and he wanted to shift it. 
and he wanted to learn about meditation and spirituality and stress relief and herbs. And I'm like, we got we to gotta look at your operating system. We got to look at like what, what's underneath this. You know, I can mm-hmm. teach you how to meditate, but if we don't get to the core issue, you're just going to be meditating on top of a lot of anxiety and then you're going to be mad that you're not meditating right. So <sighs> let's get to the issue. And for him, it was, you know, he had a dad that was really, really, really hard on him his whole life. Never once told him he was proud of him. Never once. And so he's constantly been chasing validation. And so his actionable item was to actually start feeling the feeling of pride. Because no matter what we're doing, we're always going after a feeling, not a result. Always going after a feeling, not a result. And so the feeling he was after was a sense of feeling proud. And so we had to work with that and, and find ways where he could feel that feeling, where he could acknowledge himself and feel proud of himself and give himself that validation. And that's what ended up calming him down more than like any meditation regimen or food regimen I could have given him is, is getting to that like core wound of it. So, I mean, that, that I wish I could give you like a specific one, two, three, four, five step plan, but it really is connecting the dots of your life and starting to take responsibility for why things are happening the way they're happening and to know that whatever you've created thus far, you can create something different. You just have to kind of know the operating system that's been running you so that you can look at it and change it. Because the most important relationship we have is our relationship with ourselves, And anything we're looking for from a romantic partner, from a business, from a friendship, from whatever, those are the things that we need to fulfill inside ourselves. So look at your self-talk. Look at if you talk to your friends like you talk to yourself inside your own head, would you have any friends? Now look at that relationship with yourself and how you can become you know, a better parent to yourself, a better coach to yourself, more compassionate with yourself. If, if people remember one thing from me, I would say that would be it, is your relationship with yourself is the most important relationship that you have. And if you don't have that very loving parent, coach, compassionate part inside of you that relates to you and talks to you and nurtures you when you have an expectation hangover, then life is just harder because we don't, we're not in right relationship with ourselves. And when we are in right relationship with ourselves, then not only can we live into our full potential, but life just becomes a lot easier because we're not looking for someone or something out there to make us feel a certain way. Oh, wow. That was such a powerful breakdown, Christine. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, and no, it was, it's actionable. It totally is like to sit and go back through your life. And that's funny because I think sometimes we try and overthink things. If someone wants to say, Joel, when was the first time you felt like you struggled with money? I like very, very quickly, like straight away, it would hit me and I would know deep down inside or whatever you want to call it. I would know I would get that feeling. And what sometimes what we do is you start to justify, overanalyze, we try and find something else. I know when it is. Absolutely. And so I think maybe just like not to think too much into it, but just to start writing out some things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the things that I learned, um, in spiritual psychology is the definition of healing is healing is the application of love to the places inside that hurt. And so the mind actually doesn't know the difference between a very well-imagined thought and actual reality. So one of the main ways I work with people in terms of an actionable item is if, you know, let's say I was working with you when you were bullied, I would take you back through a visualization to how old were you? Like, 12, 14, 13, something like that? I was 16 years old. 16. 
So I would take you back to being 16, like through a visualization and really get you into like remembering 16, remember what you look like and letting you speak as a 16 year old young man, like in present tense about what you were feeling and what you were experiencing. And then I'd have grown up Joel, current day Joel, speak to that 16 year old and tell him, validate him, reassure him, tell him the truth about the situation, help him reframe a lot of those beliefs because what, there's what happens, like you said, and then there's what we make it mean. And what happened to you at 16 it didn't dictate what happened next. What you made it mean dictated what happened next in your life. And so healing that is going back and helping that 16-year-old form different beliefs and be reassured in different ways. And that's why, you know, I guess you call it inner child work or that that kind of work is so powerful because again, the mind doesn't know the difference between a very well-imagined thought and actual reality. So we got to go back and heal those parts. Otherwise they just keep reacting and we just keep attracting the same experiences. Um, But when we can heal them, we can actually complete something and then we can grow and we can move on and we don't have to relive it over and over again. That's so true. I had uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza Oh, on the podcast. Yeah. And right, he's deep into uh, neuroscience and he's an incredible individual. And I remember we were talking about flying on the plane and I actually did NLP training with uh, Richard Bandler about eight years mm-hmm. ago. Similar kind of thing where it was yeah, the, the, the imagination is so powerful. You can trick your body into thinking that it's real. And I remember I had this like experience flying from uh, LA to Japan and like the plane like drops like that in the sky. And I remember at that moment, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Right. So I had this whole thing around like turbulence and flights, but my career required for me to travel often in a plane. And so I had to get through that. I was like, I got to work through this. I can't every time before I get on the flight, I can't be sweaty palms and all that. So I was already imagining that scenario before, like two days before, I get on the flight. And so while I'm lining up, my passport would have like sweat on it. I'd be, I'd be yeah. just like freaking out and my heart's pounding like I was getting palpitations. And I was imagining it. My mind was going wild. So he was teaching me that like basically that's the power of the brain. So I was like, okay, cool. If that's the power of the brain, then I could twist it into something else. Mm-hmm. And then Richard Bandler uh, taught me that there's a way that you can uh, – kind of reframe in your mind or change it in your mind to view it in a different way where when you're on the plane, imagine that you're actually sitting, close your eyes and imagine that you're sitting on a speedboat and it's just bumping like that on the water. Because mm. I've been on a speedboat, I'm sure you have too, where it's just, mm. it bumps. You, you don't feel like it's going to sink. So right. I, I was going through that process and I'm at a point now where I'm on the plane, we get turbulence sometimes and I'm just chill. I'm just chill. sitting there like yeah. listening to my you're music. Like, I'm in the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Put some tropical music on and just pretend I'm in the crib. I love it. Like I love. So I agree with you. Yeah. 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 You're so I mean, right. There's so many. The mind is powerful. Like I know a lot of people you know, deal with anxiety, for example. When anxiety is just thinking about something that hasn't yet happened. It's just future-based thinking. But we often have like anticipatory anxiety if you're you know going for an interview or you're going to give a speech or something like that. And a good way to work with that um, is, and this is an NLP trick. You probably know it. I shouldn't call it a trick. It's a process um, is to, you know, imagine yourself, let's say it's a speech, imagine yourself giving the speech, but then project yourself 15 minutes 
past giving the speech because it's about 15 minutes after we do something that releases a lot of adrenaline and cortisol that we that our parasympathetic nervous system starts to calm down and we come back into balance. Yeah. So you you imagine you finish the speech and you project yourself 15 minutes past the successful completion of that event and just visualize visualize yourself there, see it, feel it, and it will completely calm if you if you really commit to it and do it and see it. It will calm the anxiety. It will calm the nervous system. And, oops, there goes my earpiece. And it will actually, you know, shift the event because your mind has already created a successful completion of the event. So on some, because time and space is just an illusion anyway. And when we can get that and play with it and realize that by projecting into the future and imagining a positive feeling, not just seeing a positive result, back to what I was saying, we're always chasing a feeling, but like really feeling that feeling. Oh my gosh, there's an ice cream truck going by right now. That's, that's awesome. When's that, the last does that time bring back some, some <laughs> childhood memories? Yes, totally. <laughs> I, I rarely hear ice cream trucks anymore. That's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, it, the mind is so, so, so powerful. But we've got to connect feeling to thought. I see a lot of people get frustrated with the law of attraction. They're like, I do my vision boards and I do my meditations and I think about these things and I do my affirmations but you've got to have the feeling with it. You know, if you're visualizing falling in love, you've got to feel like the love is here now, like nothing is missing because so many people get so tripped up with the law of attraction because they've got their affirmations and they want it, they want it, they want it, they want it, but they're focusing on them not having it in, in the wanting it and the affirmations. But if you feel like it's already complete and it's already there, you know, my friend Amir, you know Amir Zohi? He's, he's an Aussie. Anyway, he, no, he always says um, he's great. He says the best way to get what you want is not to want it. And that's so true. It's like when we release the attachment because we know it's already here and whatever we desire to feel, we're capable of feeling in the moment, then everything that comes in physical form is just bonus, you know, because we're not coming from that place that anything's missing. So that's, that's the, if you're getting frustrated with the law of attraction, you're doing your vision boards and you've written down your goals and you're doing your affirmations, but nothing's happening bring the feeling into it and, and whatever it is that you think that intended desire is going to give you, feel it right here, right now, like nothing is missing. And one, what you want may show up, but two, even if it doesn't, you're going to be okay because you're feeling what you want to feel anyway and you're not suffering. There you go. If you get it, it's two for one. <laughs> exactly. It's a two for one. It's a bonus. <laughs> That's it. Well, I know Tony says, uh, Tony Robbins says, that the quality of your life is in direct proportion with where you live emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I remember also when I was speaking with Jody Spenza, I'm, I'm bringing him up twice because the conversation was like, I feel like it lines very well with this conversation that you and I are having. Uh, I asked Joe about this affirmations. I'm like, well, do you think they're powerful? And he laughed. He said, I don't, it, they, they can be useful at times, but they're not like, it, it's how you do it. Right. So, he said, when you say something that you, you're grateful for, uh, sorry, when you say something that you are stating as a declaration is I am wealthy, if you know, if you absolutely know you've got $1 in your bank account, you're saying, I am wealthy, I am wealthy, your sympathetic nervous system is like, whoa, it's, there's an incongruence in your system yeah. and it rejects it and you actually feel worse. Yeah. So he said, the, the reason why we need to add something more to this is if we can add in a just like a positive justification, right? And I, and I use this in so many different ways in my coaching. The positive justification is um, because when you drop the line in because after that, now you're speaking into what is actually true because you can't lie about that, right? If yeah. you're saying I am wealthy 
because, and then you lead into a real, real reason why now you're strengthening it in your system rather than just like lying, trying to lie to yourself and fake it to make it. Mm. So, it, so like the I'm wealthy. Is incredible. So would it be something like I am wealthy because I have an abundance of people that love me or I am wealthy because yep. the universe is rich with opportunities, like those kind of things. That's, that's brilliant. Yep. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I love that. I, I agree too with that. I, I talk about pendulum thinking and pendulum pep talking. Uh, you know, when yep. someone's in an expectation hangover and they're thinking things like I screwed up, I'm a loser, things never, you know, you don't go to I'm the most amazing person, everything goes my way. You take a smaller step and you say, I'm doing the best I can or I'm choosing to learn from this or, you know, one of those things. You don't have to go from A to Z because like you said, it's such an incongruency. The brain is not going to believe you. The unconscious mind is going to call BS on it in a second, but it's getting to that next thing. That's a little bit more believable that leads you more in the direction you want to go. Like I, I definitely use, you know, I forgive myself for judging myself. I'm doing the best I can. Like I do those kind of affirmations to progress me to the other ones because otherwise it's too much of a jump. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I coach, sometimes I'll have someone say like, they'll, they'll say themselves, they'll say, I'm a procrastinator. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Worlds be- uh, words become worlds. Like what yeah. you speak becomes reality, right? You can speak it into existence. So we need to be careful even with our own language. And so I re- get them to change it up and say, I'm a recovering procrastinator. I love that. When you say that, it's you're, you're in the process right now of, of you know, changing and transforming. And it's not who you are. You're, you did that thing, but it's not who you currently are. So it no longer has power of you. It doesn't fuse with you, right? Yeah. So we defuse from it and, and say that we're in the process of moving out of it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so our attitude. I'll tell you a, a a funny story, or at least I think it's funny. We'll see if other people do. <laughs> um, I, so I was, it was a few weeks ago and I was kind of recovering from a breakup here. And I just, I needed to get out of the house because I needed to break a pattern of like sad and isolating and nah, 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 nah. And I, I visualized my night and how I wanted to feel before I went out. Like I visualized connecting with people, having fun, smiling, conversing. Like I just, you know, just kept feeling that feeling. And that's much different than giving myself a pep talk, right? That's much different than I can do this and I need to get back in action and no, 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 no. I visualized how I wanted to feel and, and, and saw it and felt it. And I went to one of the most popular bars here in Bondi where all the beautiful young people go. I mean, it's like where all the, the Bondi's best are. And I oh, walk in. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I walk in and believe me, I had, you know, I, I, I shared before, I've worked a lot with that very insecure, late bloomer, awkward teenager who was bullied. So me walking into like a crowded bar by myself alone on a Saturday night, like that's the result of a lot of work <laughs> that I've done to be able to, to be able to do that. But again, just yeah. focused on the feeling, focused on people are kind, you know, because an old belief of mine was people are mean, I can't trust people. And I've worked with that belief of that, no, people are kind, people are open, people are generous. And I just kept affirming that. And I, I went up to the bar and I just, I didn't look at my phone. I refused to look at my phone. And I just stood there and I made, I said to myself, I'm standing here until I make new friends. I'm going to meet new friends. And I just kept affirming that and seeing it and feeling it. And someone walked up to me and he said, are you ordering a drink? And I said, no, I'm, I'm waiting for friends. He said, oh, you have friends coming to meet you? And I said, no, I'm hoping to make new friends tonight. 
And <laughs> like, awesome. well, well, I'll be your friend. I'm with a group of people. Come hang with us. And I had one of the most fun nights of my life. And I share this story for a couple reasons. To, to echo your point of whatever we say, both externally out loud and internally in our mind. So me telling, telling myself and visualizing myself and feeling it and then affirming in that moment, I'm making new friends it brings it to us and it feels, it can feel a little risky. It can feel a little vulnerable to kind of think that way and put that out there because we're so, sometimes it feels safer to play in our victimhood or to play in our limitlessness because then, you know, we don't have the other shoe may not drop. So a lot of people think they're protecting themselves by thinking small, but I would rather go out there with high intention and really affirm and visualize and feel into what I desire. And if it doesn't happen, low attachment, that's okay. But the, the likelihood of your life actually shifting and actually co-creating what you want rapidly increases when you feel it and when you affirm it and you, when you put yourself out there too because you can't expect the universe just to deliver everything you want to your door. You've got to be a co-creator and you've got to put yourself out there in the world. So if you can relate to me a little bit and that you can be a little bit of a loner and so sometimes isolate and have like that kind of old core wound of rejection – the way to reprogram that is to do the inner healing, but in order for that to integrate, we have to take different action. That's the only way for those synapses to, to form new neural nets is going out and taking contrary action that affirms the direction we want to go because if we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. Well, we all know that's the definition of insanity. So that, we're kind of yeah. back to like getting out of our comfort zone and that uncertainty. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Christine. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been such an incredible episode. There's so much value in this and I really appreciate you sharing not only what you know through your, your own knowledge but also your wisdom which is your experience. Like I love mm-hmm. when, you, when we have guests on that share their stories and also you're vulnerable in sharing that. You know, mm-hmm. going out, you came out of a breakup and you're sharing. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Absolutely love it. So many mm-hmm. people I know will connect with that. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. So Christine, oh how can we find you online? Where are you? Tell us, tell us about your podcast, where they can yeah. find your podcast and also yeah, everything else. You online, your book. Well, thank find. you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for this awesome conversation. Um, I, the podcast is over it and on with it and that's on iTunes and just search podcasts. It's easy or search my name. And then I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the, all the things under Christine Hassler. And then my website's Christine Hassler. And I also have an online course called over it and on with it. It's a personal mastery course. Um, so if you're wondering like, how do I do some of this stuff? How do I heal? Like, how do I leverage an expectation hangover, either get expectation hangover the book or that course, I do a deeper dive. And I actually, in that course, teach you how to, it's basically how to deal with disappointment emotionally, mentally, behaviorally, and spiritually. So I teach things like something called the temper tantrum technique, which is how to release emotions in a healthy way. I teach you something called the empty tear process, which is how you connect with that inner child. We touched, about the, we touched on the inner child work a little bit here, um, but I really walk you through how to do that so that you can you know, form those new pictures in your brain and, and really create the life that you know you're 220 whatever whatever that may be wonderful wonderful thank you so much christine now christine we end every interview with this last question all right Mm. and this last question is if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world what would that last 30 seconds sound like oh gosh that 
you truly are doing the best you can. You always have. And you are absolutely perfect and whole and complete and worthy and deserving and enough exactly 1000% the way you are. You are not broken. It's awesome that you're choosing growth and you're choosing transformation, but you're choosing it from the place of wanting to live into your full potential, not from the place that anything is wrong with you because we're all human. We're all learning. We're all on our own journey and our own destination. And the kinder and more compassionate and more accepting you are of yourself, the brighter and more beautiful that journey will be.